Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Assist goes to Sophie Bukovic for helping set this up. So today's guest has been on the Mexican senior national team since she was 15 years old. She attended USC, where she was freshman of the year, player of the year for several organizations, including Hero Sports National Volleyball Player of the Year, PrepVolleyball.com National Player of the Year, ESPNW National Player of the Year, Volleyball Magazine's Player of the Year, and ABCA National Player of the Year. That's a lot of awards in one season. She went on to play in Italy, where she was the MVP of the Italian Super League. She won the Italian Super Cup, the Italian Cup, and the Italian League Championship. And she's one of the best players in the world. Thanks for doing this. Samantha Bricio, welcome to the show. So this is awesome. So how did you start playing volleyball and doing some research? It sounds like you were pretty young when you represented the national team. Uh, and it also sounds like you had a brother who was a national team athlete. So did your parents get you into it? Did you get your brother into it? Did he get you into it? How did this all work? Well, basically my mom got me into it because she also played volleyball. But then at the end, I ended up playing because my brother, my older brother played. So I, at that time, I wanted to be like him a lot, so I was like, if he plays volleyball, I'm going to play volleyball. So that's basically how it started. Nice. And how does the national team program work in Mexico? Because it sounds like you were you were young, obviously, to be 15 and be on the senior team, but it sounded like even at 14, you were on the 18s team. So do you, do you attend tryouts? Do you get identified? How does that work? Well, basically, we play, we play nationals, and they're... The coach of the national team goes and, you know, like, walks around, and if he's interested in any girls, he will go and talk to the coach's team, uh, the team coach, or the parents, and that's how mine happened. The coach was there, and he said we play the final, and he just went and talked to my parents about me going to the national team. Nice. And do you remember what that was like with you being so young? Like, did you feel pressure, and this was a goal of yours, or were you just so young you were happy to play at a high level? The first time I went to the national team, I was uh, 13, and I went to the under-18, so it wasn't that bad, you know? The next year, that's when I went to to the older team, and that was a little bit of pressure, but, I mean, I tried. <laughs> I tried to, you know, keep it together. <laughs> and do you remember your first international competition? Like, had you traveled much, or was it exciting to play against other national teams? It was just exciting to travel you know like before that I only visited the U.S. and I remember my first two years on the national team I got to go to Puerto Rico I went to Peru I went to Thailand uh, we, we were in Japan for a little bit so it was it was pretty it was pretty nice. Now when you were on the senior team it doesn't sound like they took you because you were young like you were playing I believe you won like best server and best attacker at uh, one of the Caribbean events so was there anyone helping you out because you were so young and playing at such an early age? Like, was there any veterans or were the coaching staff really helping you pull along so you could contribute at such a young age? You know, when they when they picked me from my state team to go to the national team, I was in the middle, you know, because normally the taller one is the middle. <laughs> of course. So I was in the middle, and when I went to the national team, the coach told me that he wanted to try me out as an outside so that was a little bit hard for me because, you know, I've been playing a long time as a middle and then to change all of a sudden to play for the national team was a little bit of a hard time for me. But once I got the grip of it, it was actually pretty nice. And once I went back to play for my state, I didn't want to play middle anymore. <laughs> nice. And how does youth volleyball work in Mexico? So in Canada, we don't allow the libero position uh, for under 16, I believe it is. So when you were a uh, middle playing, did you serve receive or would you 
switched on the national team to an outside hitter? Was that the first time you received? No, actually, I, I received as a medal. I mean, I wasn't that good. I'm still not that good, but, <laughs> I mean, it was okay. But, uh, yeah, I was up the middle, and I will also pass. Awesome. So you're so young, and you're representing Mexico, and you're traveling all over the world. Is that what helps you get recruited to the NCAA? Like, was that one of your goals, or when did you start looking for, for scholarships in the U.S.? You know, I... I never thought about going to the U.S. Um, I obviously wanted to get a scholarship to go to one of the best universities in Mexico, and that was my goal and my parents' goal. But then um, I remember we went to play a tournament, a high-performance high tournament in Arizona, and I went with the national team. I remember there with the USA national team. It was like three teams from the national team and also I think the national team for Dominican Republic was there. So it was a little bit of an international tournament, sort of. And that's when Team Nolan, uh, he was the associate coach back then for USC. He saw me play and that's when he offered me a scholarship. And he was the second one. I don't remember how, because the first one to offer me was Texas. I don't remember 100% how they they saw me, but yeah, that was basically it. It was just international tournaments, basically playing against the U.S. Now, I imagine you had a lot of offers, so what attracted you to go play at USC? It's just, when I did the visit, they really won me over. I mean, Mick, the whole staff, um, Tim, now uh, Jason, they were just really nice people, you know, it's it's just hard because when you go to a visit, basically they want you to go there. So they're always going to be nice. They're always going to, you know, offer you all of these things. Like they're going to paint a really nice picture of everything. But I think uh, at USC, I felt like they were real. So, I mean, I felt like they were being natural that that was actually going to happen. And that's, that's why I made my decision to go to Los Angeles. Plus, it's Los Angeles. I mean, <laughs> it's a really nice city, and USC is a great university, and I'm really happy because as soon as I got there, I knew I made the right decision. Yeah, yeah, they have a great reputation for, for being very strong in a lot of sports. So was that something you enjoyed was the lifestyle of being in L.A., but also going to either like a, a football game or a basketball game or having people watch your games? Like, what was the, the yeah. culture at USC like? I mean, it was really nice when we were not in season, you know, it was football season. So we would like go and it's just the the environment at football, um, basketball games are super nice. And also something nice about it that because it's Los Angeles and it's because it's USC, such a nice and renowned university, you will always have someone famous, you know, so that will give it. A little bit of extra flavor to your games or to whatever game you were watching. Nice, and and then doing some research, it looked like you attended the uh, ESPYS one year. So, did you ever get to meet uh, either someone who was your hero or someone you were a little starstruck from from being around either USC or some of these awards you earned? Yeah, I got to go to the ESPYS, but more than anything, my dad was the one that enjoyed it. You know, he was like <laughs> asking me to ask people to take pictures with him all the time. So. I got to meet um, Sherman. Oh, you met Richard Sherman, yeah. Yes, him. <laughs> I also met uh, Shaquille O'Neal. I think that was the, you know, the, the coolest one that I actually got to take a picture with. 
I was lucky enough to go on stage to pick up the, the award that was given to the university, to the female athletics. And, you know, I walked in front of um, LeBron James and Steph Curry. And even if I didn't talk to them or like I looked at them for like one second, I was really nervous. I was like, oh, my God, like, what if I fall when I'm walking in front of them? I was so nervous. And I was, that was pretty nice just to get to see them from a little bit far. Now, is Shaquille O'Neal the, the same personality in person? Because he, he shows it well on TV. Is he that outgoing and funny when you're just in person with no cameras around? Yes, yes. I mean, it's not that we talked to them for, like, you know, hours. But the one or two minutes that we were there, that we were taking pictures, he was really funny. And he's very, very big. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Coach Mick and how he did a good job recruiting you. He's got a, a reputation of being a very high-level coach. So what do you remember about your time with him, whether... It's how practices are run or help or how he helped you improve. I mean, I I like to say that Meg and all this stuff that I had for the four year the four years were like one of the best coaches I've ever had. Uh, they were not just good inside the core, they were also there to support you outside the core. Uh, Meg taught me a lot of stuff, like volleyball wise, and also he helped me get stronger mentally, you know, because I struggle a little bit my sophomore year, my freshman and my sophomore year during important games I would get really nervous so he helped me a lot with that so yeah that's that's why I think he's a great coach because he wasn't only good inside the court he was also great outside the court and even if you were struggling with something that was not even volleyball related he will always find a way to help you and one thing that got a lot of attention when you were at USC was was your ability to serve the ball. So at, do you remember at what age did you start using the, this hybrid spin serve, or was that developed at uh, the university level? It was developed there. Um, my Probably my third week into practice, my freshman year, I got um, injured. I got a sprained ankle. Somebody went under the net, and I got hurt. Um, so I was a couple of weeks out. And then uh, before that, I used to do spin, uh, top serve, spin serve, spin serve, top serve, I don't know. Yep. Um, <laughs> and after that, since I was, you know, fresh out of an injury, they didn't want me to jump that much. So they were cutting out the, the spin serve. So we tried to do a float serve. And make was like, you know, because I've never done a jump float serve. It's kind of hard if you're trying to learn how to do it because you know the coordination is not doesn't come naturally so we were trying to to start doing a float serve and we were practicing it was only Mick and I I remember and then all of a sudden it just came out you know I remember hitting the ball hard and it was a really good serve so both of us looked at each other we were like hmm we might be onto something, and it's just like we just started from there. <laughs> so you're telling it me that one accident. of the one of the best serves in the world was an accident, is what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So when you're back at the service line, like you mentioned, the coaching staff helped you with with your attitude and and your mental abilities. How did that come together when you're serving? Because just watching some clips on YouTube, it looks like you'll you'll serve a couple aces. The other team will call a timeout, and you'll go back, and you're still serving aces or serving tough. Where it doesn't seem like your your tactics or, or your technique ever changed. So how did you stay so consistent and aggressive from the service line? You know, something else that Meg taught me is that routine 
makes a difference. So I have the same routine every single time I go back to serve. Like I always stay the same time. I concentrate the same way. So I think I think that's the key. Just like have a routine and just you know figure out what works for you and always do it. Now, for any of our young listeners, what tips could you give them? Like, is it really important to keep the ball in front of you? Do you consider the footwork really important? Or is it just your ability to hit it hard into seams? Like, if somebody was starting to try to copy this serve, what would you say is the probably the two or three most important things? Well, I think what the most important, at least for me, it's the toss. Because the toss has to be at a good height, you know? Because if you hit the ball that hard from a... From a low point, it's just going to go out all the time or it's going to go into the net. So the toss is the most important part. You have to you have to figure out the right height for you. It, it just depends on your arm. It depends on how tall you are. But, I mean, I feel the footwork and all that has to be something you feel comfortable with because, I mean, even if you try to copy mine and if you don't feel comfortable, it's not going to work. So... You just have to find something that you feel comfortable with and uh, then you can start getting better from there. And how do you personally like to think about risk or, or maybe the coaching staff's help uh, influence this, but with somebody being so aggressive, it, you're going to miss serves, right? So there, there seems to be a small culture in volleyball that thinks that you shouldn't miss serves because you're giving points away, but obviously someone being aggressive, you're going to earn points. So do you ever think that missing a serve is a bad thing or do the coaches get on you or are you allowed to play free and just go for it every time? I mean, missing a serve is never a good thing, you know, but you have to take risks because, you know, it's better to miss a serve when you're being aggressive than miss a serve when you're being paid. So I try to always go into the service line aggressive and, I mean, always trying not to miss a serve, but also always being aggressive. And looking again at USC and, and watching some games and listening to some commentators, it, it sounded like you could score in a variety of ways where you were a good blocker, a good server, and attacking, they would use you to the back row, which wasn't that common in the women's game at that time, and obviously getting a lot of front row sets. So as you continue to develop as this offensive player, was that something you were bringing ideas to the team, or was it the coaches and the other team saying, hey, maybe we should run the pipe a little bit faster, or maybe we should get you swing blocking? Like, How did you continue to develop when you were there? Okay, first of all, I'm not a good blocker. That's something <laughs> that I always struggled with. <laughs> you know, I was really bad. Then uh, USC helped me a little bit, but I'm still, you know, I think it's the thing that I struggle the most with. But, you know, there's always room for improvement, so I'm still working on it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I've always loved to hit the pipe, to hit back row. It's probably one of my favorite things. I think I like it even more than hitting front row because it's so unpredictable. You know, like the other team doesn't know you're coming. You can play it as fast as you want. You can play in, you know, different points along the net. And yeah, I mean, that was something that we worked on together. Obviously, working as a team, we got really good at it. And that, you know, having really good setter helped me being good at it because, you know, I'm not just good. I need someone good with me. So I had a really good team. So that helped me just get better at him. And again, if somebody wanted to steal your ability to hit the, the back row attack, like for our younger listeners, when you first started hitting it, was the setter setting the ball to a spot or were you paying attention to their distance and you're always like a certain distance away from them? Like what was the best way to learn that skill? Because you're flying into the back row and it's very aggressive. So the timing has to be pretty spot on for you to get it, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to have 
a lot of confidence with your setter. But I think if you're just starting to hit back row, I think it's easier to go to a specific spot along the net uh, uh, rather than follow the setter. I think as you get better and more comfortable with your setter, you can, you know, talk to your setter. You always have to communicate with your setter and you can talk to her and tell her that, you know, you will always follow her at this point, uh, playing professionally. Um, I always follow my setter, so I always communicate with her throughout the, the play. So, you know, sometimes she would tell me, okay, you go pipe, but the, the play doesn't allow me to go pipe. So I have to go, I have to call another play in the middle of the play and I have to follow the setter. So you, the key is always, you know, communicate with your setter. If you communicate with her, if she knows what you're doing, I think... It will always work. And with the speed you're running it out of the pipe, do you just know where the blocker is going to be based on like tradition of where they line up? Or do you have time to get some vision and then choose the shot from there? You can always see the block. I mean, especially from back row, uh, because you have more distance from the net, it's easier to see the block. But you have to quick, you have to pick quick because the ball is quick, so you don't have that much time. Now, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about, but I do want to circle back and just talk about blocking real quick. I'm trying to understand how someone who's athletic as you, I think you're 6'2", like how has blocking been a, a big challenge for you? You started playing middle, which gets a lot of blocking reps as a young athlete. Like, what, what is maybe the biggest challenge you have with that uh, skill? That I always fly. That's my thing. <laughs> you know, because at, at this level, there are many players that are, you know, getting up there pretty high. So... As a blocker, you're always trying to get as high as you can. And one of my flaws is that I do get high, but I fly. And that's hard for my middle because, you know, they, they always get there too close. But then if you move, it opens a little hole and the ball goes through it. So, yeah, that's my problem. I, you know, I've always tried to correct that, but it's just sometimes... With the adrenaline, with all of this, I forget, and it's just, you know. <laughs> nice. It's good to hear somebody of your level of, of play that you still work on stuff, so that that's good to hear that some young athletes can know that they, if they do that, they can still work through it. Yeah, I mean, there's always, like, you're never going to be perfect, so there's always room for improvement for something. So with you playing a lot and getting the amount of sets you were at USC, and then going back to your national team in the off season. How did you manage, uh, I guess the buzzword right now is load management, but how did you manage the amount of volleyball you were playing? It almost seems like it was year-round, right? Yes. Uh, actually, no, because when I was in, uh, at USC, I decided to stop to play with the national team. Uh, exactly because of this, it was just too much playing, and then going back to play for the national team, it was just too much for me. And since, like I told you, I, I have been, for, with the national team since I was 13. So it was three summers nonstop, volleyball, volleyball for two months. So I just wanted to take a rest. And yeah, the four years that I was at university, I, I didn't play for the national team. And how did they handle that news uh, when you first told them? Because I imagine that was a big piece they were missing since you've been in a, a part of the team for so long. Yeah, they didn't like me very much. <laughs> <laughs> But when you went back, everything was okay. I guess you're a very skilled player, so they're they're gonna want to be want to have you around if you want to be a part of it. But was there any anger on their side when you first came back? There was. I'm not gonna tell you there wasn't, but 
you know, they kind of like tried to make me play, you know, um, which it was okay. I understand. Like I love playing for my country, but you know, I was tired. You know, I didn't want to spend my whole summer playing volleyball, but I understand I have to play for my country. So I, I agreed to play for them, but unfortunately I broke my ankle. <laughs> so that was another summer that I couldn't, I couldn't practice for them. But yeah, now that I'm back, it's, it's okay. It's pretty good. And at what point did you want to play professional volleyball? Like as a, a young player, did you know that you wanted to play pro or was this something that came together in university? No, because my brother, my older brother, he, he got to play two years in Switzerland. So at this point, I wanted to play pro. I never thought about the fact that I will actually get to do it, you know. Um, I think it started to get a little bit more, it started to get a more realistic idea once I was at USC. Like, once I was there... I started to realize I could actually get to play professional. And I imagine someone of your level got a lot of offers, and I'm always curious how pro volleyballs choose, but how did you weigh certain offers against other ones, or did your agent kind of guide you and say, you know what, this one in Italy is a really good offer, you should take it? I mean, basically, before all the offers, before my agent started talking about me, he asked me, you know, like, where do you want to go? Like, what do you want for your first years? Do you want money? Do you want lifestyle? Do you want um, high level of volleyball? Do you want a more relaxed schedule, you know? So I want, uh, I knew Italy had most of this trade. Like I know there is really high volleyball here. There is okay money. The lifestyle is pretty good. And, you know, just, like, basically the level is pretty good. So I I told him, I was like, you know what? I think at least for my first year, I want to go to Italy. So at this point, he, you know, he started talking to teams here in Italy about me. And, yeah, after that, I got the offer from Imoco Negriano, which is a really good team. It was a team that I was there two years, my first two years. And he told me, you know what? This team, it's, like, always top three in Italy, they're going to play Champions League, they're pretty good, I think you should take it, I was like, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you learn those first few years, like, was pro a big step up, or because the NCAA is a very high level that you kind of fit in with the level of play right off the bat? You know, it's, it's a little bit different, because in the, um, in college, almost all all the players are about your age, maybe two, three years older than you. But then you get here and then you're playing against, um, you know, Olympian legends or you're playing against people who have won four Champions League. That means they're at least five or six years older than you. So it is a, it is a little bit different. Um, you're playing against full teams that are over, I don't know, like six, five they're all over that, so you're like they're a little bit intimidating. You don't get to see that much in college. I mean, there are some players that are pretty tall, but not a full team, you know. And when you play against Russia, you realize that almost all the teams are over six five. So it it is it changes a little bit. And did you feel any pressure as as a foreigner being brought in to like perform right off the bat? Because you're still quite young. Did you have a big impact on the team? And how did they receive you? Is this NCAA star who's on the Mexican national team now playing pro in Italy. You know, when I came 
came in, I had the idea that I was going to be on the bench because we had pretty good outsides. I mean, we had the captain of the national team of Italy. We had a legend, um, which name is Carolina Costa Grande. I don't know if you know her. She she was Argentinian, and then she became Italian. She played for the national team. She won world championships. She was MVP. So there were the two outsides, and... I was like, okay, like I'm here to learn. This is my first year. It's okay. I mean, I'll I'll do whatever I can for the team, and if being in the bench is what I can do, it's okay. So I was here, but then I remember opposite got hurt, so uh, one of our outsides had to go to play opposite, and that was my chance. You know, I was like, okay, this is not how I wanted to get a chance, but I'll take it. And then after that. I was, you know, I was lucky and I and I did a really good job. My first year wasn't that good for me, not playing wise, but because I I got so my first injury was probably in October. I teared uh, a muscle on my chin, which is pretty unusual because it's not. Like, you don't use that very much. So I broke the, I tear that muscle, and I couldn't play for three weeks. Then I came back in about, was it January? I got mono. <laughs> so I was out for about seven weeks. After that, three games, we were in the second game, not in the third game of quarterfinals. And I broke my ankle, and I was finished. But yeah, that was my first year. It wasn't that good, but the few games I played, I think I did a really good job. Oh man, that's so unlucky. Did you sign a two-year contract in the beginning, or did they choose to bring you back because they saw potential in you? I signed a two-year contract. Most of our listeners are, are based in Canada. Hopefully we get a few more with having a star like you on the show. But I was just wondering if you could describe the Italian league and the audience because of their passion and understanding of the sport where maybe we don't get to see that side as much uh, in Canada here without a pro league. I mean, it's just it's just super nice. You know, you go to every game you play and it's full of fans. It's full of little kids. It's full of, you know, adults. It's like all ages. And they're always there to support you. They go with you wherever you go, even if it's not in Italy. I mean, I've had fans go all the way to Russia for one game. I have fans go all the way to Azerbaijan for one game. You know, it's, it's like real passion. They really like volleyball. They really support you. And the nice part is that you know that it doesn't matter where you go, there's always going to be at least one person there that, that supports you. That's awesome. Awesome. So in your third year, it looked like you chose to go to another league and play the year in Turkey, which is a very strong women's league. What led to that decision? Did the club really pursue you, or is that something you wanted to do? I wanted to stay in Conegliano um, because, you know, it's, it's a really good club. It's a really good league here in Italy. But then... Um, we started to do a little bit bad, like the team, and our president kind of like freaked out, you know, and stopped all contracts. So um, I got this offer from Fenerbahce in Turkey, which is a really good club, and I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I got this really good offer, and I'm just gonna take it, you know? Like, I'm not gonna wait. 
I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, one of my goals playing pro was to go to Turkey and play there for at least a year because I know the league is pretty, it's pretty good. So I got that chance and I took it. I went to Turkey and I played for, for a club that it's, it's really, really good and it has a really strong fan base. Nice. And then once again, you, you return to Italy. So I, I think a lot of our listeners are getting familiar that volleyball players are typically on one-year contract. Did you like the idea of kind of betting on yourself and having the option to choose? Or if you had the choice, would you prefer like a four or five-year contract with one team? Um, no, I mean, I, I like, I don't like the one years. I like two years, you know, because you get to settle down a little bit, but then if you don't feel 100% comfortable, you get to, you know, change cities, maybe change teams. When I went to Turkey, I specifically asked for a one-year contract because I know going from a very, very small town here in Italy, going to Turk to Istanbul, which is like one of the most populated cities in the world, it was going to be hard. Also, Turkey's culture is a little bit different to what I'm used to so I asked for one year you know just to see how it was and if I could not accommodate I could just go back and yeah that was the reason I got one year now that I'm here in Florence hopefully I stay another year because I really like it here nice nice and is that something you consider is is going from either a small town to a big city is that something you can negotiate with your agent is just talk about the, the lifestyle side of things where you're still in a very good league, but maybe a certain athletes prefer to be in, in a smaller center. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm very lucky to have an agent like the one that I have that actually worries about what I want, you know, uh, unfortunately there are some agents out there that care more about the money they can get off the player than what their needs are. Um, but yeah, my agent, I mean, he, he asked me, he's like, okay, like, what do you want to do? Like, last year, I told him, you know what? Um, I want to go back to Italy. And he was like, okay, are you sure? These are the pros, these are the cons. Do you still want to go back? I was like, yes, I do want to go back. So he every, every time a contract finishes, he asks me, like, what do I want? Do I want to do this? Do I want to go here? You know, there's more money here, but... There is a better lifestyle here, so yeah, I I'm lucky and I can get I I get to choose. That sounds amazing. I feel like we should give them a shout out because they've been so good to you. What agency are you currently with? It's um it's one agent, but it's more a male agent. I was actually introduced to him by Micah Christensen. He's a setter for the national team, the USA national team. Um. Since he went to USC, you know, when I was going to go pro, I needed to have someone who I could trust. And I asked Micah, I was like, hey, like, do you know anyone? And he was like, no, I, I have my agent. He's only a men's agent, but I'll give you his contact. And yeah, I ended up with him. Uh, I found out he, back then, he only managed Jordan Larson, which is also a USA outside. And then he decided to give me a shot and, yeah, work with me. So it's basically he has all men and he has, like, three girls. Nice. Nice. Good to be on that list. Um, <laughs> yes. 
So this year you would have competed in an Olympic qualifier, but the timing of it was a little odd where a lot of players were coming back from their professional clubs. Do you remember at what time did you got to leave your club and join the national team before this big tournament? I got to the national team probably a week before the tournament. And is that pretty normal? Were other teammates kind of rolling in at that time, or are you maybe one of the later ones? No, I was one of the latest ones. Uh, unfortunately, last year, the Mexican national team didn't have a lot of players playing professional, so it was basically me and our opposite, which she plays in Puerto Rico, but she was not in season, so I was basically the one that got there the latest. And with your years on the team, are you pretty comfortable or did it feel pretty short notice to have to prepare for an international event with only a week with a different setter and different teammates around you? My teammates were pretty much the same. The one that did change was the setter. Um, you know, I didn't have that much of a hard time because she's she's a good setter. She's very young, um, but she's pretty good. She has a lot of talent. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have that much of a hard time. And what do you remember from that event? I think you guys came out of the gates and forced a tough five-setter, uh, unfortunately dropped it, but it was a very tough format with only four teams there and all very competitive. So did you guys go in with high expectations or what was kind of the plan as you started that tournament? I mean, we went there just to play the best volleyball we could, you know. Um, we know Dominican Republic is a really strong team and that was our first game. So we were like, you know what, we're just going to play it all out and see how it goes. And actually, we went to five. It's like the first time in history, I think, that Mexico takes the Dominican Republic to five. Um, we actually had a pretty good game, but at the end, they just they were stronger. Nice. And I, and I wanted to circle back. You mentioned when you first got to Italy, you're, you're recognizing certain players that have won world championships or done well at the Olympics. And You've been part of the national team since such a, a young age. Was there ever a moment where you were kind of starstruck and like watched players? Like, at what point did you start to feel like a peer and that you belonged at these these big stages you're playing on? I mean, I feel like pretty fast, like pretty quick, because my team had really, really good players. So once I started practicing with them, I was like, okay, like this is normal. Okay, like I'm used to it now. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty fast, but I, you know, like once we started playing against, um, the Turkish team and the Russian teams, I did get a little bit Star Trek a little, um, for a bit, but then once we started playing, you know, I was like, okay, like we are just as good or even better than them. So, okay, we can do this. So one thing we're trying to do on the show is just have athletes tell funny stories where you, you've played at the highest level of our sport, but uh, I don't think you're, you're an exception to sometimes just odd stuff happens to volleyball players, whether it's on the road or at a tournament or anything. So do you have a, a funny story you could share with our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, so basically this is my first world championship uh, under 18. We were in Thailand, and before going to, to the tournament, the whole team decided to you know we were like pretty excited and we decided to get matching volleyball shoes so we went to san diego i think to this volleyball store and we all got this brand new mizunos all black we thought it was like super cool we looked super nice and yeah so we go we arrived to the 
to the tournament. We were pretty excited. It's our first game. You know, we come out looking super nice with our black shoes. Yeah, yeah. We play, and right after the game, our coach gets called by the referees. And, you know, like we were stretching, and they were talking for about 20 minutes. Our coach looked pretty upset. And we were like, okay, like, whatever. Like, probably doesn't have anything to do with us. So, basically, our coach comes over, and he tells us that the rule book says that we cannot use black shoes because they can scratch the floor and they can leave a mark. And we're like, okay, like we don't have any other shoes. You know, like this is our only volleyball shoes that we have. It's not that we're going to bring three pairs. He was like, yeah, but like you cannot play with them. And we're like, what do you mean you cannot play with them? Like, yeah, yeah, you don't have, you cannot. And we were like, so like, what are we going to do? So basically, we went back to the hotel, and our physiotherapist gave us, like, 20 rolls of tape, you know, the white tape that you use to, I don't know, tape an ankle, tape a wrist, and we were basically tracing all the leather parts of the shoes on the tape, and then we will cut it and tape our shoe with white tape. The most horrific thing I've ever seen. It was so ugly. Like, our shoes look so bad. It was just the worst. And then, like, the next game, we all arrived with our really ugly-looking shoes to the court. And everybody was, like, staring at us, and we were so sad. Because we were so excited, you know? Like, we bought our shoes, like, matching shoes to look, you know, super cool. And then at the end, we just ended up taping them. And it was just awful. <laughs> That's terrible. I've never heard of that rule before. It was so bad. We never heard of that either. And like now that I play, you know, with the with the older team, like I see people with all kinds of shoes, and I'm like, really? Was this like a one time rule? Just because it was us or something? Like we probably looked too cool, and they were like, no, they cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that has to be. <laughs> awesome well i want to thank you for coming on the show i know it took a little coordinating with the the time zone difference and thanks to sophie bukovic for helping set this up uh really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some stories no problem thank you for inviting me it was an honor and hopefully we we stay in contact yeah that'd be great we'd love to have you back on could definitely hear a few more stories so yeah good luck with everything else you got on the go and i'll talk to you later thank you bye-bye